Hello and welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein, and today we're talking with Dr. Mindy George Weinstein, Chief Research and Science Officer, about PCOM's thriving research division. Dr. George Weinstein is a prolific researcher in her own right. She and Jackie Gerhardt, coordinator of the research support staff and director of the bioimaging facility, discovered cells at PCOM, which are now part of a multi-site, multi-million dollar research project that seeks to find effective treatments for blindness, neurodegeneration, chronic wound healing, fibrotic diseases, and cancer. Over 30 PCOM medical and master's level students were instrumental in laying the foundation for their ongoing translational research studies with collaborators Arturo Bravo Nuevo in the School of Health Sciences and Vishaka Bahave and Rangaya Shashidharamurti in the School of Pharmacy. Welcome, Dr. Weinstein, and I'm going to call you Mindy as we go forward. Thank you, Jay. We currently have several faculty members across departments and across campuses who are collaborating on research projects. Can you just give a brief overview of what some of those projects are focused on? Sure. So we do have a number of collaborations between departments. A couple of examples are um, Dr. Clayson from uh, Biomedical Sciences uh, Department and uh, Dr. Morris, who's Chair of Family Medicine. And they have collaborated to develop a health advocacy clinic at homeless shelters in Philadelphia. So their research uh, involves a study of health-related outcomes of shelter residents and students' perceptions of their experience in the clinics. Uh, Dr. Clayson also collaborates with uh, Drs. Notobel and Allison of the OMMM department. Uh, they study structure function relationships and OMT outcomes. Uh, another member of the BMS uh, faculty and chair is Dr. Balin, who collaborates with Chris Hammond uh, from the Division of Research, and Dr. Galuzzi, who's the chair of Department of Gerontology. What they um, study is um, correlations between novel biomarkers that they discovered uh, for Alzheimer's disease and impairments in cognitive behavior and olfaction. And one more example of a collaboration between campuses um, is um, Dr. Kumar Mukherjee in the Department of uh, Pharmacy Practice. Kumar is a co-investigator on several of our research studies uh, that's part of our Pennsylvania-based medical marijuana research program. Uh, I should also mention that we have inter-institutional collaborations. Uh, these are really too numerous to mention individually, but basically involve partnerships between PCOM faculty uh, and investigators um, at universities worldwide, companies and healthcare centers. Uh, let me just give you one example in this context, and that's Dr. Uh, Festinger from the Department of Clinical Psychology, who has had a long-standing collaboration with the staff at the Public Health Management Corporation that provides community-based primary care and social services throughout Philadelphia. Now, one of the most exciting and more recently um, formations of collaborations has occurred between our faculty, students, and residents in PCOM's programs. For example, Dr. Pelt is working with PCOM's neurosurgery residents to develop techniques to distinguish brain tumors. Dr. Bravo Nuevo and his students collaborate with PCOM's ophthalmology residents and attendings uh, to study retinal diseases and to test uh, recent advances in optical imaging.
Our collaborations between students and residents took a giant step forward um, as a result of the efforts of two of our DO students, Chris Matthews and Max Kilcoyne, who created a mechanism whereby residency directors can post um, on our student research website opportunities for partnerships between residents and students. We focus a lot on the biomedical side of research. What projects from the behavioral health side are of interest? Well, Jay, honestly, it would take uh, me our entire time together to describe these projects individually. There is a great deal of research that's coming out of the clinical psychology department. So if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is just summarize these as focus areas. Okay. Uh, so uh, beginning with behavioral health in the primary care setting, uh, we have programs that were developed to increase uh, positive emotions, um, also studies involving substance use disorders and chronic pain, coping mechanisms in individuals with debilitating and life-threatening diseases. Uh, some of the clinical psychologists are studying the effectiveness of cognitive behavioral therapy in the treatment of different disorders, uh, suicide prevention programs, prevention and treatment of obesity, childhood anxiety disorders, and ADHD, parent-child relationships in the context of childhood aggression and social isolation, school-based learning and mental health services, uh, as well as social psychology studies of attitudes and cultural diversity. Do you see opportunities for those two sides to collaborate in an interprofessional way, and if so, how? Uh, yes, I do. Um, and in fact, we already have several collaborations that have been um, established between the BMS faculty and our psychologists. For example, Drs. Ballin and Little of the BMS department collaborate with Dr. Uh, Kandorsky from psychology. And they study the relationship between bacterial infection and neurobehavioral and cognitive deficits that are seen in Alzheimer's disease. So can collaborations be increased? Certainly. Uh, but you know, the extent to which collaborations can be formed depends not only on interest and motivation, but also feasibility in terms of time and resources. Why are collaborations important? For several reasons, Jay. Um, first, uh, they increase productivity uh, because multiple pieces of a project can be um, worked on simultaneously. Secondly, collaborations maximize resource allocation because supplies and personnel can be shared between groups. But most importantly, collaborations actually uh, are more than the sum total of the individuals because uh, you know, scientists and clinicians and students too come to the table with different knowledge and they process information very differently and so what comes out of those individual pieces are some novel ideas, very innovative approaches to experimentation, uh, as well as unique interpretations. And students benefit from this as well because they participate in the collegial process. So the end result of collaboration uh, is a more rigorous and imaginative science. ACGME is mandating that students take part in scientific research prior to applying for residencies. How is the Division of Research working to ensure that our students can be as competitive as possible? Yeah, um, <laughs> this is uh, a, a very important 
task. Uh, we have more and more students that are coming to the DOR and also to our clinicians and individual faculty seeking research experiences. So what the DOR does is to provide funds for faculty projects that involve uh, student training. And the outcome uh, really depends on the um, amount of effort that the student puts into it, but also the quality of the mentoring uh, by the faculty and the research support staff. And when things go well and the students work hard, uh, they can be co-authors on manuscripts and give presentations at conferences. Uh, beyond that, there are a number of other individuals at PCOM that are working to expand opportunities uh, for research uh, for our students, uh, including uh, Michael Roberts, our new director of institutional research. This is one of his goals, is to expand research opportunities. Uh, Dr. Pickren Davis has developed uh, some projects involving community-based research. And first, I want to give a, a shout out to two of our DO students that have really contributed to the potential for expanding research uh, that involves developing partnerships between our students and residents. And what uh, Chris and Max did was to create what's called the Student Research Portal. They developed a mechanism whereby research directors can submit uh, opportunities for research projects of their residents and this gets posted uh, on our student research website and then the students can apply to this. So this has been a huge effort on their part. It's just getting traction now. Uh, it involved uh, also the ITS department and Jacqueline White of the Division of Research. Well thank you. So Jay, have you ever participated in research? I, I participated in one research study uh, when I was in attending in emergency medicine after my, it was like my second year being in attending, where we actually were doing a clinical trial on a device. This was prior to automatic defibrillators. There was a company that actually developed a trans-telephonic defibrillator where you could actually deliver um, shocks over the phone. Wow. And uh, we worked together and we basically did a clinical trial for efficacy and safety in the ER, and which culminated in them saving a patient's life via this out in St. Louis, made the news for a day on national TV, a study got published in Annals of Emergency Medicine, and then about three months later, the automatic defibrillators came out and that company went bye-bye. <laughs> but that was my, my clinical trial research experience. That's exciting. Yeah, as, a, as a young attending. Um, why do you think it's important for medical students to have an understanding of the principles and practice of research? And one of the things I think that gets lost in medical school, because we're so often reinforcing the concept of you know, young physicians and holistic philosophies, but at the end of the day, a physician at their core is a scientist. And medicine is based on science. And science is based on research. <laughs> and, you know, it, I hate to oversimplify it, but that's just the fact. That's what separates us f from shamanism and witch doctors and fake medicine, is that good medicine is based on science. So the more students can understand how research happens, the better scientists they're going to be, and it also allows them, hopefully, to critically evaluate the literature.
because you know as a physician you're constantly learning and you constantly have to be able to evaluate the literature you need to know what's real what's valid and what's pseudoscience and not prescribe a medication because a drug rep tells you that it's the best medication to take or because you're watching TV ads or somebody is sponsoring your research but you need to be able to make a scientific objective opinion. Yeah, I would agree. And may I interject something here? Sure. Uh, and that is uh, our students again this is uh, Chris Matthews that I mentioned before but also Danielle Estrada recognize the need that you just described for students coming out of undergraduate medical education entering their residency uh, with familiarity with evidence-based medicine as well as you know hands-on research experience and so they actually developed a course it's just a model at this stage oh, great. but I thought uh, it would be really um, fun for you uh, to have a podcast with them so that they can tell you all about okay. what they've done yeah, we, we, we love to. What are some of the emerging areas of research that you foresee, uh, either from basic science or the clinical perspective? Well, I think one area that goes across both these fields in terms of basic science and uh, clinical medicine will be medicinal cannabis research. That's going to allow us the opportunity to do bench science research on metabolites, uh, hopefully with our conjunction with our pharmacy program, and also from a clinical perspective, you know, what are the outcomes, you know, for certain conditions and diseases, you know, is it helpful, is it not helpful? So we can get some real science behind medicinal cannabis. I also think the biggest area for us is on healthcare delivery, you know, and models of care, you know, to continue to prove that integrated behavior physical health delivers a better patient outcome at a reduced cost. So I think that area is, is wide open. And I'm just going to, you know, and I think one of the outstanding opportunities is to do research on rural health care when we open up down in Moultrie in Colquitt County is to really assess the impact of how we can improve health outcomes in rural communities. What is your view of PCOM faculty as inventors and do you foresee opportunities for PCOM to partner with faculty that start their own companies? I think this is a fascinating topic and a great idea. I would love for all of our faculty researchers to eventually become inventors to develop either products or, and have startup companies. The challenge is that, as you know, if you go down a drug path, it's very expensive. And that's something, quite frankly, that as an institution, we're just not set up to fund in a large scale in any way, shape, or form. But I think what we can do as an institution is introduce faculty inventors to the right people and the right opportunities to nurture those startup companies along and to you know, uh, give our faculty inventors resources, people to talk to, uh, venture funds, established companies. And I think that's where we can really make an impact. I would agree, uh, and thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mindy. I'm incredibly proud of the novel innovative research conducted here at PCOM, and I'm excited to see how the discoveries made here will advance the fields of medicine, behavioral health, pharmacy, and the basic sciences. To listen to past episodes of this podcast and become a subscriber, visit our SoundCloud page or find us on iTunes by searching Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm Jay Feldstein, and this has been PCOM Perspectives.